Welcome to another great episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we begin our journey through understanding CMMC and its regulations and controls. We're starting down the road with the very first control, AC.L1-3.1.1, limit system access to authorized users, processes acting on behalf of authorized users, and devices, including other systems. Yeah, I know that sounds confusing, but we'll break down this control, what this control means, why it matters, and how it impacts your organization's cybersecurity posture. We'll also provide practical insights and strategies for achieving compliance and securing your systems effectively. So whether you're a defense contractor aiming to win more contracts or simply someone interested in bolstering your cybersecurity knowledge, you're in the right place. Let's dig in. So we're joined once again by Mike Frieder of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMMC professional assessor and an expert on these controls. So, Mike, first of all, thanks for joining us again as we kind of pivot how we do things a little bit on this Yeah, topic. always always a pleasure, Roman. And, you know, I think I'm excited about a lot of these upcoming episodes uh, because there's just so much noise about how to actually go out and solve for these controls. And uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about them and maybe shed some light and, uh, you know, get some good quality knowledge out there. Absolutely. So as I just said, we are pivoting the podcast a little bit. Today, we often talk about how compliance can benefit the defense industry and why it's important. But but some members of our audience may be wondering exactly what compliance looks like. And that's why we're here to break down a few of these controls to make sense of this compliance maze. So we're going to do it kind of in the same form that we usually do it. I, I have a couple of questions, but I'm going to let you, Mike, I'm going to let you kind of lead us through what all of this means for this first control, and, and we're going to see how this goes. So so let's start simply. Can you explain CMMC and the 14 control families that these controls are broken into, sure. what it kind of looks like? First thing to understand is that CMMC under CMMC 2.0 and level two is nothing more complicated than NIST SP 800-171 in its existing form. So there's no net new requirements, first thing to understand. Second is the control family. So the control families, NIST is broken into 14 basic control families. Um, and those control families are essentially what is, you know, the, the general sort of theme that ties the controls in that family together. Um, so again, I'm, as an example, and I'm not going to go through all 14 of them, right. uh, but let me see if I can pull up. Um, because we'll get there. No need to do it all at once. But <laughs> right. So so for instance, you know, the first the first control family is AC, right? Access control. And what that is, is it's 20 plus controls that all deal with who has access to what. So as an example. You know, the first control in NIST SP 800-171 is a real doozy. Um, it, it actually has like one, two, three, four, five, six different assessment points uh, that all relate back to how you're controlling access. And so to pull it back into a summary, right, the 14 control families all deal with things like access control. Another one is like, you know, physical security, right, PS. Um, and, you know, so again, there's, there's all these different control families. Um, and let me see if I can find another one. I know there's maintenance ones and there's other security ones and there, you know, 
Yeah, and like there's 3.3 is audit and accountability. So again, really all the control families are, which I don't think the control families themselves and understanding what the families are, I don't think that does you real, a lot of good. You're really focused in on what's the 110 controls we have to deal with. Um, but it is helpful to understand there's sort of areas of security and areas of risk management. And that's what the families are forced to kind of group these controls into some kind of logical sense. Right. It's just a simpler way to take these kind of daunting 110 controls and kind of it check, just look at them in a more digestible 14 different what different uh, control families. I think it's just a way to digest it a little bit better, I think, for a lot of people, because 110 is a heck of a lot of controls. Uh, so it, it sure is. It sure is. And I think the other thing about the control families is they tell you what's important. They tell you that, hey, you should be focused on audit and accountability, as an example, or access control. And so, um, you know, think of it like hints. But yeah, absolutely. Right, right, right. So as you just mentioned, the first control family looks at access controls to who is an authorized user, how they're identified, that kind of thing. So you 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 mentioned assessment points earlier. What what kind of things are, are assessors looking for on this particular control? Yeah, great question. So there's six assessment points. When you look at NIST 800-171A, um, you know, those assessment points are determined if authorized users are identified. So in other words, do you have a system where controlled unclassified information exists where you can't access CUI unless you are identified and we know exactly who it is that's accessing it? Um, it's a really good requirement because you don't want to have a shared user account or an open system where anyone can, can get at CUI without logging in. I think, again, when you talk about security, part of security is knowing who's accessing your stuff. Uh, the next assessment point is determine if processes acting on behalf of authorized users are identified. So are the processes identified so that if, if an operation is performed, you know what process did it, you can trace it back, there are log files about it, and you can find out if something malicious was done, do we know what was done? And can we trace it back? And can we be alerted to it? Can we discover it? Um, the next one, number three, is determine if devices including other systems authorized to connect to the systems are identified. So now we're talking about what devices are actually allowed to connect to the system. Are, are, are you making sure that what devices access uh, you know, this information are actually authorized devices and that it's not just sort of any old device can be plugged into the network? Um, you know, there's a great device out there called a Flipper Zero. And Flipper Zero is a really cool hacking device and it, it has an ability to impersonate other devices. Do you have something in there to mitigate that risk? Next is determining if system access is limited to only authorized users. You know, do you have permissions or do you have a flat network? Um, obviously, when it comes to CUI, it's supposed to be only accessible by those people who need access to it. So you, know, you don't want everything in a big giant open file share. You want examples where you're limiting access to only certain users in your network. Obviously, if you're really small, that's a pretty hard one to do. But certainly, if you're a larger company and the larger and larger you get, uh, access control becomes a really big deal. A lot of people, you know, leaving and coming from the company every day and uh, access is a really big deal. Fifth one is determine if system access is limited to processes that are acting on behalf of authorized users, right? So is that user authorized to execute that process? And is the system access limited to what that user can do? Um, probably a little bit really granular there. Um, I think you know, a lot of this is sort of automated and built into the various operating systems, disallowing users to not do things that they're supposed to do. But the point is, do you know how you're supposed to answer that? And do you know how your system is making that limitation? 
Final one is determine if system access is limited to authorized devices. Again, uh, you know, a great example is can any device log into your system or is it limited? And how do you answer that? So a great example is, you know, is the IT department the only ones who can uh, allow a user onto a domain? You know, is that is that how you're how you're set up? Lots of different answers there. Um, so yeah, a lot of different, a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different aspects of it. But what this control really boils down to is controlling who has access to what and what devices have access to what. And uh, that's that's the, that's the essence of this control, and frankly, it's the essence of a lot of the 3.1 control family. At OnCall, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on the wall behind me. Compliance is our specialty. We're here to help you make sure, make sense of all this compliance stuff. So a lot of what we've already said is can can get a little technical if, if, you're, if you're learning about this for the first time or whatever. Uh, and if you watch the the we have a video for each control on our youtube channel as well as talking about it here if if and and if they've seen it on youtube mike you use a lot of great analogies and examples in your videos to make it more digestible and sometimes funny to to listen to so can can you give our you you've already given a couple but can you give our audience a a, a, a practical example of what um compliance with this control looks like and or explain the dangers of non-compliance for this particular control? Yeah, great question, right? So um, I'll cover what does it look like to be compliant with this. And again, I'm not going to sort of read off answers to all, all six of the assessment points, particularly on this control, because it's a pretty long one. But, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a very basic, uh, you know, we'll just use a Windows domain as an example, right? And um, guys, if you're, if you're out there listening to this and you're trying to get the answer to this and, and you're struggling, um, man, I would highly encourage you just check out one of our websites like cmmccompliancesecrets.com. You can self-schedule time with one of our CMMC certified compliance experts, uh, you know, 24-7. And you just get on the phone with one of us. We don't charge anything to uh, to talk with you. And it never costs anything to see how we can help. So, um, you know, we can get you those answers. And if that's really, truly all you need is one little answer, hey, you know what? We're going to give it to you, right? Um, if you If you really just need assistance with us coming in to do the whole thing, Hey, that's a different story. And, and we can obviously do that too. And, you know, if you're in the middle and you're bound to determine you want to do it yourself, you can check out oncallacademy.com. Uh, there's a CMMC level two and DFARS and NIST SP 800-171 course that you can literally take that gives you all the answers. Uh, it's just in a do-it-yourself format. So we really do have solutions to help you at every step of the way from free to having us literally walk in the door and do it for you in a matter of days. Um, so again, in this case, we're just going to use, you know, very simple uh, network, 10 computers, one server, a basic Windows domain is set up. Uh, the computers must be added to the domain by the domain administrator. There's no other way to, that the computers could connect. And then the CUI is in a secure file share. Um, there's no VPN, there's no remote access. I'm not going to sort of talk about any of the complexities there, but the idea is those computers can't be um, you know, allowed into the domain without being signed into the domain. And then when they are, they get tokenized by the domain controller, uh, authorizing that device to have access. Um, then, you know, there's a user account assigned to the user, obviously, and they have appropriate permissions to a folder that has CUI in it. So again, there's designated permissions there. So we, we now have, you know, a way to control the people who are accessing it and what devices they're accessing it on through domain joining. Uh, and then finally, you know, obviously only, you're only allowed to execute that which group policy 
would allow you to execute. So you'll have some group policies set up to say, hey, look, you know, this user can't install uh, any programs net new. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to have probably some endpoint management protection type stuff that's going to provide antivirus and uh, things like that uh, on, on the endpoints as well. So again, kind of setting up our really basic model here. The idea is that, you know, that antivirus program is not going to allow you to execute things you shouldn't. And of course, you're going to have to have some sort of a security information and event management system that allows for you to capture all of the logs coming from those computers through Active Directory and the server. And uh, you'll be able to create some sort of IT ticket if there's some sort of anomalous event. So uh, again, that's definitely, you know, to answer these, we're going to have to get into some technical detail. That's about as simple as I can really make it. Obviously, for the listeners out there, every single network is different. So if you happen to have 10 computers in a server, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right answer for you. It's something we'd have to look at together, uh, but it should give you a clue. It should kind of put you in the right direction. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a very basic scenario. And obviously you would just, you know, for all those six assessment points, you would, you would give answers uh, to those six assessment points that line up to your network and how it is uh, performing the functions of limiting access. So hopefully that helps. And, and when you're talking about access, I think, uh, it's pretty obvious what could happen, but the second part of that question was, what are the dangers of not being compliant with this control when you're talking about access? Yeah, I mean, here's an obvious one, right? So you've got, um, you know, let's say you have an open Wi-Fi network and anybody can connect to it. And let's say that you have given uh, the everyone permission to that folder that has CUI. Now, I mean, you could have people sitting out in the parking lot, not even in your building, accessing your network wirelessly and then having direct access to CUI because the folder has everyone permissions. Very, very common. I mean, I, I, I just wish it wasn't so common. And believe me, if you think that people do not do things like this, you know, first it starts out with, can I get free internet access? And then it's like, well, let me just, you know, go to my network and search for what's available. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of folders and stuff that they can get at. Business networks are notoriously vulnerable because Windows permissions make it so easy to accidentally share too much. And then of course, you know, if somebody's got access to it, that also means they can delete it. If they're on your network without proper authorization, they can also run something called a packet sniffing tool that can essentially sniff passwords and really any other data, including CUI flowing across that network. Um, it's just simply not permissible to allow non-authorized users access to a network because gosh, you can just go to YouTube and YouTube the word packet sniffing password cracking and I mean you'll get more information on how to do this than you can imagine it's so easy um, so again I think maybe that's a great example of uh, you know how unintentionally not having your bases covered can really hurt you whenever you whether it be in the YouTube videos or right here whenever you say packet sniffing and you'll say it a lot uh, as we go through these controls I always think about bomb sniffing dogs I can't I can't help it I just imagine a bunch of dogs that's right well, we love our dogs here, so uh, we do, um, we do, we really do. And I believe even if even if you go watch the watch the YouTube videos, I believe I put in a, a little gif of a dog for everybody to look at. Uh, <laughs> but that's just my little treat for everybody if you watch on our YouTube channel. So, so Mike, just because we're pivoting, what kind of what we're talking about, and it, and it isn't a permanent pivot. It isn't a permanent pivot. Say that five times fast. We're going to do one of these and then we're going to go back to our normal format and then one of these and back to our normal format. But just because we're pivoting does not mean we're going to eliminate our favorite part of this. So I was able to find a silly question relating to this. And I thought this one was particularly relevant because if you're watching on YouTube, as you can see behind Mike, we have a little poster with a with a shield 
on it. It's kind of a, a, a one of our company logos that we have. So, so I thought this this question was was pretty pretty fun. So, picture your computer as a superhero. What would its superpower be to limit access to only authorized users? Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, the superpower might be to figure out who is sitting in front of this thing. Uh, you know, that that would be a superpower. We try to do that with Windows Hello. We try to do that with multi-factor authentication. But, um, you know, in the past couple of years, we figured out that even those methodologies can be um, sidestepped. Uh, so I think the superpower would be to really truly be able to know who's really sitting in front of that keyboard or remote session. And uh, that would be a pretty straightforward, uh, that'd be a pretty straightforward superpower. I wish I'd come up with something funny there, but there is a real need for identity verification. And I think it's something that we get better at every year and the hackers get better at getting through every year. Um, it's really amazing. By the way, I was just kind of goofing around here in the background. And, you know, if you search for packet sniffing, a lot, a lot of folks kind of like they hear us give that explanation of packet sniffing. They don't really understand what it means. If you go to YouTube and you search for packet sniffing, you're going to find a program called Wireshark. Wireshark is a program that can be used to literally hear all traffic across your entire network. And you can capture it and you can go and parse it out to find the passwords. And there are YouTube videos that are three minutes long to teach you how to do this in incredible detail. So um, I just want to pass that on because one, it's pretty cool to learn how to do it. Uh, certainly don't uh, encourage that for any unethical reasons. But again, for IT people or for people that really want to understand the value of this control, just go look at how easy it is to perform a packet sniffing attack with Wireshark, and you will immediately understand why this control is just so important to make sure that nobody has unauthorized access to your data, to your network, uh, or to devices that are authorized uh, to get on those networks. Absolutely. And I think I can make your your answer to the superhero question just a little bit fun. More fun is uh, what I imagine is is you know someone sits down at the computer and there's some sort of of facial recognition on the computer and if it's not the person it's supposed to be there's some sort of non-lethal heat vision that comes out of the computer and and stuns the person sitting there that's right that's that's, right. that's kind of what i imagine that's right all we need is usb uh tasers to shoot out <laughs> from the computer <laughs> to uh to incapacitate the unauthorized users, like space invaders. Exactly, exactly. So all, it, all, always good to have a space invader reference in the podcast. That's right. Uh, and, and that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank, thank, thank Mike for coming on this new journey with us as, as we dissect the each individual controls and how complicated they these can be, but trying a little bit to make them a little bit more digestible. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. The conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be sure to, to be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking thought episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance, where we will pivot back to our more topic-based format as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.
Thanks, everybody.